Welcome to Undrafted, a Dynasty Game Theory podcast brought to you by the Undroppables. I am your host, Scott Belanger, a.k.a. Jax Falcone. You can find me on Twitter at Dino Game Theory. This is episode number 36. Let's roll. Oh boy, it's the first the first pod after the after the NFL draft. And I hate to be that guy, but I'm gonna just come right out and tell y'all, I told you so, I told you so, I told you so. Um, you know, I've been asking since October of 2020 when I had Justin Mendero and, and Andrew Mackins on the pod, and I, I framed the question, um, you know, week one of 2021, who will be the leading running back for the Jacksonville Jaguars? Will it be James Robinson or every other human being on the planet, the field? And, you know, I asked that question several times throughout the offseason, throughout even last season. And it seemed like everybody wanted to choose James Robinson. Uh, I I would ask the question, what happens if and when the Jaguars sign a free agent or draft a a high leverage running back in the draft? And everybody told me that James Robinson was good, uh, which was never the question. James Robinson, of course, is good. We knew that. Uh, The other one was, why would they do that? (laughs) And uh, the the answer was actually very simple. And I did lay it out. And, uh, you know, maybe we can get in a time machine, go back in time and and play that that clip. But the answer was pretty simple is because they had so much uh, capital that they um, that they were bound to make a mistake with all that capital. You know, I always said, I, I think I said, you know, a guy with too much money will buy some really stupid ass shit for his house, you know? Uh, and so that's what they did. They made a quote unquote mistake by drafting Travis Etienne. But that is the reason why you listen to the show is so that we can, we can share this type of stuff. And quite frankly, my guest today is arguably the best in the business. I, I really, really uh, am so excited to have him on. Uh, you all know him. If you if you're following me or know this podcast and you don't know JJ Zacharyson, then that is very strange. <laughs> that is very strange. So I, I want you to go out and, and follow JJ. He is at late round Q, QB uh, on on Twitter. And without further ado, I'm going to bring him in. JJ, what is going on? What's up, man? It's great to talk to you. Yeah, I, I'm I'm sure it is. I mean, you know. It's, I'm sure it's your life dreams to get on the undrafted pod. There's just no doubt about it. Although we have been, uh, we have been getting a lot of, a lot of great feedback. And I, I do want to thank everybody who's, who's given me and the group here a, a lot of that feedback. We are super excited. We're having a ton of fun. And JJ, you and I kind of get in this, uh, in this pod, you know, less than a week removed from the NFL draft. I was super excited to have you on at this time because, well, uh, because you do it really well and, and, and you have a great model, um, you know, a, a data model, um, but you aren't slave to your model. You actually use your model, which I appreciate because a model is just going to sort of regurgitate information. It's not going to use context and, and, and sort of other, other factors that we can identify uh, on, the, on, the, on the run. So I'm really excited to ask you about your rankings and kind of go through them, uh, share mine with you and I have a funny feeling we're going to be really, really close on a lot of players, but still process will be revealed here. And I'm excited to sort of un- unveil yours. Yeah, for sure. You know, like you said, I have, uh, you know, my prospect model. I look at uh, different production inputs and then some environmental inputs uh, at wide receiver and running back. Don't really do it for tight end and quarterback because it's difficult to straight up, uh, you know, the tight end position, a lot of it's driven by athleticism just naturally. And then, uh, you know, quarterback is, is really just much, it's, it's a crapshoot, what we've found historically. It's just very difficult uh, to, to prospect the position, but uh, excited to, to talk shop with you, man. It should be fun. 
Yeah, and, and uh, uh, me too, man. I'm, I, you know, I'm not going to give you too much shine, but I will say you're you're really one of the guys I really look up to in this in this business for a lot of reasons. Um, first of all, you're really smart. I think you do a great job with with really every part of the process. Also, this is our first time, quote unquote, meeting each other. But through every medium I've ever sort of seen you, heard you, whether it be Twitter, whether it be on a podcast or any sort of video you've ever done, you strike me as a really great person. So that that, that also goes a long way with me. So I appreciate it, man. I appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, it kind of brings me to, well, first of all, you can take your, 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 your rain dance victory lap, uh, with James Robinson too, because, you know, while I was asking that question, I was sort of seeking out those who were sort of echoing those sentiments and you were, I'm not saying you copied me. That's not what I'm saying at all, but you certainly were echoing those sentiments that James Robinson had extreme fragility. Yeah, you know, my approach with it too wasn't even so much like I didn't I didn't think for sure for certain that Travis Etienne or some, you know, first round running back or even a day two running back, uh this some specific running back was going to be the guy that they go out and get. My thing was more so James Robinson last year had everything go right. And yeah. and what I mean by that is his running back rush share last season was the best that we've seen over the last decade. It wasn't just the best that we've seen that we saw in the NFL. It was if he had played the full 16 games, uh, he was going to break Christian McCaffrey's record that he had a couple of seasons ago, uh, where he had like 92% of, of Carolina's running back rushes. James Robinson was pacing for like 95, 96%. Yeah, that wasn't uh, so going to continue. That wasn't going to continue. The, the, that type of number is going to regress. It's impossible for that to not regress in some way. So really what we were looking at with Robinson was that number one, you know, Carlos Hyde was not the answer for depth on that team at the running back position. They needed more depth. They needed, at the very least, they needed a good pass catching back on that team because, uh, you know, it's basically you had James Robinson, Carlos Hyde, not really, you know, not spectacular pass catchers. And then you had Dare Gumbawale, who, uh, you know, got his run in the fantasy world last summer, but, you know, is not a thing. You know, he's just right. not a thing. Um, and so I thought that a, a route they might go was to get someone like Kenneth Gainwell or something, who ended up going a little bit later in the draft than I thought he would, but, you know, going like a Kenneth Gainwell or something like that at a baseline, right? Like that was that was at a baseline what Jacksonville had to do. And if you look at it from that perspective, then all of a sudden James Robinson was going to be just like your typical RB2 type who doesn't have much pass catching upside uh, that you could arbitrage pretty easily within your draft. So, you know, then they go out, obviously they get Travis Etienne who uh, has the workhorse potential. And, and I mean, I mean, anyone who's, who thinks that James Robinson is not dead in fantasy football, I think is wrong right now. You know, yeah. I, you, you can, you can make the case that he's going to have spiked weeks or that he he'll see some volume, but that's not the kind of running back you should be striving for in fantasy football, because you already know that Travis Etienne is going to steal passing down work. Um, and it's just not going to be predictable output for, for James Robinson. So to me, I mean, there's just so many players like him now in the NFL, right. there's no reason to go out and trade for or try to get James Robinson. No, that's right. Because even the, the owner who's trying to get off him probably still sees him a little bit more valuable than he is. Right. And, and what's interesting is, is now is not a good time to sell him specifically, maybe buy him, but I don't think so. Um, but definitely not a good time to sell because I really think that actually the, the, the good time to buy will be after week one or two, because, you know, I, I did frame the question, uh, you know, in 2021, in week one, who will lead the, the, the Jacksonville Jaguars backfield in touches, but that still could actually be James Robinson in week one. 
Um, I don't think it'll be throughout the season, but it could be one of those weird things where it's like a, you know, he sees 12 carries, you know, ETN sees eight, Hyde sees four, you know, something like that. I mean, they could ease ETN in. It's possible. It's possible. Uh, I don't know how probable, but it's possible. And, and so insofar as they might do that, um, that'd be that'd be a good time to sell there because, you know, obviously the rookies sometimes come along slow. We did see it with with DeAndre Swift. We saw it even with J- uh, Jonathan Taylor to some degree. We certainly saw it with Akers, although that was due to injury. We saw it with Dobbins. Um, so these these uh, elite backs sometimes can be brought along somewhat slowly or certainly more slowly than a lot want them to. So that could open the door for, you know, James Robinson uh, truthers to sort of get excited for a minute, but over the long haul, I'm, I'm with you hundred percent. It's definitely uh, curtains for Mr. Robinson and, and everybody knows who, who, who listens to me. I love him as a player. I love the story. I was rooting for them to not draft someone until everybody called me stupid for thinking they might. Then of course I was kind of rooting for it, but um, yeah, I mean, the player is great, but it, it, it's somewhat over. I mean, he just falls into that sort of just a guy, you know, backup running back bunch of dudes like that, like Jamal Williams. I mean, Right. I mean, is that kind of where you see him? Yeah. I mean, that's the thing, you know, the, the running backs that I I try to go after in fantasy have that legitimate upside. And as long as Travis Etienne is healthy, I just don't think James Robinson has that legitimate upside now. Yeah. Injury only. Yeah. If, if, if the argument is, will James Robinson exceed ADP or will he, you know, bring, but that doesn't matter to me. Right. right? Like I, if I'm drafting a running back in the ninth or the 10th round, I'm not (laughs) just wanting him to meet expectation. I need him to far exceed expectation to actually get value out of that. So that's the main reason I'm just completely, and I'm like you, I mean, I was all over James Robinson last season after the draft, he popped in my prospect model. I have him, I had him everywhere in, in dynasty and and in redraft. And uh, it's just one of those situations where when you, when a, when a player's situation changes as drastically as James Robinson's uh, is going to, or already has, Uh, where you get a new coaching staff, you know, there's going to be a new quarterback and you know, that coaching staff too, doesn't really have NFL experience where, uh, you know, they they don't necessarily understand or fully comprehend the value of a running back. Um, and we, and we don't, we, we, we're, we're buying way too much into the people who are buying James Robinson. We're buying way too much into that ambiguity, I think. Um, and it's just one of those situations where we think we know way more than we actually do. That's sort of my motto with, with, fantasy football is that I try to embrace variance as much as possible because when you start to embrace variance, uh, you can make moves with these, these higher probability moves, uh, where you then went out in the end. Yeah. I, I say, uh, I say, be ready to be wrong. Uh, because if you're ready to be wrong, you're, you're, more, you know, you're embracing variance. It's the same thing. And, mm-hmm. and I'm with you hundred percent. So hey, we're going to touch on this real briefly. Cause you said something just sort of in passing before we hopped on the show, and I'm not so sure everybody would agree with you, but I do wholeheartedly. I was going to ask you this question thinking you might disagree, but I thought the Jacksonville Jaguars did an awful job in the, in the draft. I just thought it was terrible. Um, and, and, and they come away with a lot of great players. Why? Because they had immense draft capital. So, of course, you could say, well, they got this, that, the other. Well, of course, they did. They had the first overall pick. They had the first overall pick in the first three rounds. Like, plus they had a, a pick 24. They had 11 in the second round. I mean, they had a lot of real premium draft capital. And I thought they squandered that to a, to a huge degree. Um, I'll give you my two cents. First of all, here's why I say that. And you can tell me what you think about this take. You know, it's kind of like in a dynasty draft. If you hold that much capital, I'm always looking to be the the, the, the bank teller. 
right? I thought they should have been the go-between for every trade. Oh, you need a late first round pick? We got 25. Mm -hmm. Oh, you, you know, everybody goes to bed on Thursday night. They wake up with who, who they want. Hey, we've got 101 this morning. Who wants that pick? They have all night to, to trade that pick and to, and to gather value. They probably could have gotten a, who knows, maybe even a future first plus a third this year or something. I mean, who knows what that pick would have sold for. There, there, that was a high leverage position, and they still had pick 11 in the second round. That pick should have been up for sale to move back and to gather more future assets. Then they had 3.01. They didn't really make a single trade. They didn't gather any future value. And I just, you know, I couldn't imagine being in that front office, especially new. It's not like they're in their, their, the last year or something where if they don't produce, they're out. This is literally their first opportunity to show what they got. I thought they failed miserably. What do you think of that? Yeah, I, I would agree with you. I think the other thing, too, is if you read between the lines, actually, if you just read the lines, with what yeah. Urban Meyer said <laughs> post-draft, uh, you know, one of the things that he, he mentioned was that uh, the Giants, you know, after they traded down uh, the first time in Dave Gettleman's career and they, they get Kadarius Toney, which I'm sure we'll both have issues with. Uh, and then and then Urban Meyer comes out and says that that was actually their target uh, at 25 instead of Travis Etienne, which both of those picks are horrendous, right? Horrendous. Tra Travis Etienne just being a straight-up luxury pick for a team that's rebuilding, and then Kadarius Toney being a duplicative uh, asset uh, with, with LaVisca Chenault, where LaVisca Chenault's a far better prospect than Kadarius Toney is in my eyes. So it's just a very strange way of team building. And if you just look at, at the way that he's viewing a guy like Toney, the fact that they went and got a running back in the first round, it does seem like, and it seems like, this seems asinine and crazy to even say out loud, but it's like Urban Meyer is trying to create something that works in college, right? Where right. He, wants, he wants to get Curtis Samuel again. He wants to uh, get this backfield full of talent when that's just not what works in the NFL. So it's just very, very concerning. And honestly, to a degree, I'm a little bit, I said this on my podcast too, I'm almost a little bit concerned about Trevor Lawrence's development yes. because if that's the way his head coach is thinking, that's frightening to think about for, for a prospect like Lawrence. I mean, hopefully he should be fine because he's that good. But, you know, regardless, I think that, that this could hinder his development. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, offensive line would be the way that I would probably lean when you draft Trevor Lawrence. It's like, let's surround him with some some pieces that can protect him. You know, the masses were right. You do have James Robinson. You don't need to reach for a running back in the first round. Let's get some high leverage offensive line prospects here. Let's make sure we sure up that offensive line. I mean, first and foremost, hey, we can start building the defense next year, but we're going to be starting Trevor Lawrence snap one game one. We don't want a Joe Burrow situation on our hands where he's running for his life and, right. and not getting the protection he needs. So then when they do finally dip in and, and, and draft an offensive lineman, they, they draft a guy with injury history who hasn't played in two years. It's like, what the hell is that pick? And then they pick another guy, you know, a th a 3.01, Andre Cisco, who also is coming off injury. It's like, what are you guys doing? I think I just I mean, that doesn't even make any sense to me. It's like, I, I don't know. It just it was really, really bad. I, I just thought it was really, really terrible. And you're right. It's like how much of their terrible uh, the terrible job they did will be, you know, sort of glossed over or masked by the fact that Trevor Lawrence might be good. Right. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Uh, probably a good time for you and I to move forward. What we what we really wanted to do and what JJ and I wanted to do today was kind of review our rankings and kind of talk about, you know, honestly, if we were talking to you guys about what you should do in your upcoming rookie draft, kind of our initial thoughts coming out of the draft, and a lot of us have rookie drafts. I think I may be on the clock in one of them. Um, 
uh, yeah, of course I am, right? But um, what, what we would sort of be looking to do with these drafts in a very, you know, granular level, like what the hell are we, what, how are we looking at this thing? And Trevor Lawrence starts it off at the top. Uh, we'll start with the quarterbacks because we're there. And in a super flex draft, uh, is, well, here we are. Is Trevor Lawrence still your easy 101, hard 101, or not your 101? I think he's still a fairly easy 101 and I say I that I say that mostly because I like the safety that we're going to get with Lawrence. We we know he's going to be the starter for the next decade. I mean, we we have that good of a feeling about him. Uh and it's similar to the way that we felt about Andrew Luck when he came out. And then like Luck, you know, Trevor Lawrence is going to bring that extra juice a little bit with his legs. You know, not to the yes. degree that we're going to see from Trey Lance and Justin Fields, but you know, Andrew Luck averaged, you know, he he would have these 300-yard rushing seasons. And then he'd have, you know, three to five touchdowns on the ground. And that would boost him uh, within the context of, of uh, you know, the rest of the position. Now, the difference is that when Andrew Luck was uh, at his prime, you know, before he retired, uh, the, the quarterback position in fantasy is not was not the same as it is now. You know, you really do need that extra rushing juice. But I will say I plug Trevor Lawrence into my projections and he's still a high end QB, two right now for this season. So you're getting that right away, whereas I don't have that supreme confidence uh, of, uh, you know, whether it be Trey Lance, I mean, Trey Lance might not even play that much this year, but whether it be Trey Lance, Justin Fields, uh, just as prospects, it's just a lot safer and easier to just go with, with Trevor Lawrence. I totally agree. I, I think that's exactly right. As a matter of fact, because the way I look at it is there's sort of that, I, I look at these quarterbacks on two levels. It's like, what are the chances that they like the, the sort of the floor, if you will. And the floor is made up of things like, will they start week one, day one? That's a pretty good floor. That means they're actually going to play. So that's a pretty good floor. And then how secure is that job for them and how for how long? And, and, and the type of product prospect they are, how likely is it that they're just going to be, quote unquote, good in the NFL? That's floor. And then ceiling is, like you say, Konami code, you know, sort of those elite traits, big arm, that Mahomes sort of allure. Um, you know, things like that, um, escapability, you know, making the, the, the second play on, on every play um, that, that, you know, even if you're not running for it, you know, one of the concerns I have with Mac Jones and we'll get there, but it's sort of like, he's a, he's a one play player. I don't know how many times he's going to break pocket, you know, right. evade a guy and throw to a, you know, to a receiver who like broke coverage, you know, right. That's not as there for him. He's going to have to be really good in the pocket, which he could very well be now. Trevor has that, and he also has that second play ability. So he has that high floor, high ceiling. Right. Um, so that's why I think he becomes that that 1.01. Maybe you could argue that the ceilings are higher for Fields and Lance, and I would probably agree with that, but the floors are much lower. So that's where I lean as well. Exactly. It's sort of like the way that people think about the like any actually any position in fantasy football. Like let's just think about the the RB one in redraft leagues where people say, oh, I'm not going to draft Christian McCaffrey 101 this year uh, because we know that running back. They said this, you know, last year or whatever, because we know that running backs don't often repeat as the RB one year over year. But <laughs> right. But, 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 but what you're doing here is you're looking at a floor ceiling combo, right? <laughs> right? We're not, we're not saying that it's an absolute lock that Trevor Lawrence is going to be the best fantasy quarterback in this class. What we're saying is probability from a probability standpoint, uh, he has the best chance uh, to be a very solid asset for you down, you know, throughout his career, as opposed to there's a high variance with, with Trey Lance. There's some variance with Justin Fields. I mean, you have to ask yourself, my, my fear with Fields, and I've already drafted Justin Fields. Uh, my fear with him, though, is 
why did quarterback needy teams not draft him? Yeah. Why did they, why did Denver and Carolina not draft Justin Fields? I mean, even to a degree, New York, I understand why they traded the pick because they want to win. Now they're in this position with the, with the front office where they, they need Daniel Jones to be the guy, but you can even make the argument for them, but you have to ask that question, even Detroit yes. to a degree. And yeah. so like, like if he was, if he was a blue chip, like, like a Trevor Lawrence type prospect, there's no way that even Detroit would have passed on him. So you have to ask that question too, with Justin Fields. I think Fields is great. I, Me I mean, too. I, I, I think he, I'm I, with you 100. percent But I have to keep that open mind while I'm going through this process because it's still a little bit scary when you're spending that premium of a pick when you could opt, especially if you you know if you're if you're in a super flex league, because realistically you could still opt to go a very safe route like Najee Harris or Jamar Chase uh, because we know there's a lot of volatility at the quarterback position. I think um, Fields has that first part, that floor though, uh, a little bit more in this case because of the investment made by Chicago. Sure. It's almost yeah. like they took yeah. him 102 because they gave up next year's first. They like, yeah. I don't think there's any part of them that's like, well, let's see here. They're, they're mm-hmm. very all in here. This is yeah, kind of like, them. Yeah. this is a make or break situation for the front office, for the coaching staff. Like this is an all in move. And so I think they're going to want this thing to work. Yeah. If it doesn't, they all go down together. Um, so I think for that reason, he has floor. I, I still have fields as my, um, 1.02 in, in, in super flex leagues and i have trey lance at 1.03 so i'm taking those those three guys one two and three uh, are you with me or are you maybe thinking uh, of a different quarterback or uh Najee or chase if, if it's your your team i have i have lance at, at two only because of landing spot kyle shanahan and then and yeah. then obviously obviously the, the capital was there better you know better for lance and i do think lance has the most insane ceiling of honestly of any quarterback in this class, yep. if everything comes together, because we're, we're, we're looking at a potential Michael Vick type ground game component to, to Trey Lance with a, a more, a, a more developed arm. Right. Yeah. And so, so from that standpoint, I can see that ceiling with Lance, but I think that Lance and fields are in the same tier. And, I mean, I think that Lawrence technically you could argue was, it would be in the same tier, but yeah, here's I, a quick I have, question. I three of them can can the, I ask you a quick team. question? So here's a quick question. Are we sure that Trey Lance is that much better an athlete than Justin Fields and that much better a rusher? In other words, had Justin Fields played the competition level that Lance played in, in that offense, would he have performed the same or better? And would, you know, flip it around, would Trey Lance have performed as well as Justin Fields did? Because he right. performed at an incredibly high level. I'm just asking. I think I think the best way for me to phrase this would be I'm more confident that Trey Lance is going to run the ball more than Justin Fields because Justin Fields has is a better passer. Yeah, it's a good so, answer. So, so, you know, like Lamar Jackson, obviously it doesn't make sense for Lamar Jackson to drop back to pass 600 times a season because he's so efficient on the ground. Right. But, but on top of that, Lamar Jackson knows when to escape the pocket and utilize his legs when his first and second reads just aren't open, right? Whereas yeah. where, and I could see a similar situation where Kyle Shanahan dumbs down this offense and Trey Lance is able to escape the pocket uh, a lot quicker and sooner. Whereas Justin Fields is a more processed passer right now. And sure, so I could, see, right. I could see Trey Lance using that rushing more as a backbone than what Justin Fields will. But yes, as, as purely as an athlete and pu- purely from that perspective, probably similar, right? Justin right. Fields might even have an edge. He ran a four, 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 40. I mean, right. like Justin Fields is very, very athletic. Um, Dude is we, legit. Yeah. We, we cannot lose sight of that, but um, I just think that just because of the types of quarterbacks they are and the development that has to take place, 
there's a higher chance, at least in the short term, that we see Trey Lance, you know, run the football a little bit more than Justin Fields would. Okay, so you're one, two, three with them, though. Is Fields still your number three in a, in a super flex draft? Yeah. yeah. And so then it does come down to four, five. It sounds like, you know, I have uh, Najee, then Chase, and it's close. Are you similar, or do you have Zach Wilson, which you could make, you could, like, if we're running a team together, I always say this, if we're running a team together and you said, I think we should take Zach Wilson at the four spot ahead of Chase and Najee, and your in your rationale was he's going to start day one. He's going to have weapons. They're going to want him to succeed. They're fully invested. Even if he's not good, he's going to play a lot. They're going to work through some of his downside. We can still get off him, even if he's not good. But if he's good, we catch a quarterback lightning in a bottle. Let's just draft Zach Wilson. I'd be like, okay, right, right. That's exactly that's exactly where I'm at. Where I think you know if you're if you're there's a difference between putting a rankings list together and yeah. publishing out there. If I'm doing that, I'm putting Najee for Jamar Chase five, right? But I do think that in this case, Zach Wilson's in that same tier and you can go, like if you're a if you're not a win now team in Superflex, it makes sense yeah. to go Zach Wilson. Actually, it yes. makes sense to probably trade down to the to the six pick or something like that so that you're locked into a not to, you know, you're allowing them to, to get Najee and Jamar Chase while then also getting Zach Wilson still plus some. But, yes. you know, I do think it's still logical enough to get Wilson at 104. Yes, it just sucks because there's a massive drop from Fields to, to, to Zach Wilson, I think. I shouldn't say massive. There's a, there's a drop, right? Yeah, not massive. Um, I, I, I would agree. Yeah, I, yeah. Who knows how big it is, but I, I think the, the rushing upside is a massive exactly. drop. Yeah, exactly. So, Stealing yeah, drop. yeah, you can make the case, I think, for, for Jamar Chase, Najee Harris there. Uh, or or uh, Zach Wilson. And, and honestly, if you really, really like Travis Etienne, if you think that he's the RB1 and you want to throw him in that tier as well, I can understand it. I still have Najee as my RB1, um, but you know I get it enough. My fear with, with Travis Etienne at this point uh, is what we talked about earlier. It's the, it's the way that Urban Meyer is already talking about that, that offense. And, and typically, I would say this is coach speak, but I, I really think that Urban Meyer might not be very sharp. And, right, and so, it's possible. so it's scary that he's saying these things about Travis Etienne and that, I mean, we've seen, you know, historically we've seen first round running backs uh, get a lot of volume on the ground. They've averaged 205 attempts on the ground as rookies uh, over the last decade when they've been drafted in round one. But at the same time, we have seen sort of these inept front offices take running backs in round one and not utilize them to their fullest potential. You could even uh, go down to, to the Raiders with Josh Jacobs and not using him as a receiver. Rashad Penny, they didn't use him that much as a rookie. Um, and, and maybe we see something similar with Travis Etienne where they just don't utilize him as a true workhorse. I don't think that's out of the question, which is, you know, that ambiguity is what's pushing me to, to easily go Najee Harris ahead of him because we know right. that Harris is locked into a massive workload in Pittsburgh. Yeah, that's right. Even behind that awful offensive yeah. line where Pittsburgh completely failed to to protect a 38-year-old immobile quarterback with yeah. arm injuries and shoulder problems. Yeah, no, we don't need to worry about that. Yeah. They had the lowest ADOT in like, uh, the history of mankind. Ben was just like catching it, couldn't even get the laces right and throwing yes. it. You know, I mean, it's just, you know, kind of twirling his hands and getting it out quick to, you know, um, uh uh, Juju, uh, you know, four yards off the line. I mean, so yeah, that's a problem. That's a little bit of an issue for me. I just drafted Najee 101 in a, in a draft. I tried trading the pick and maybe I might even trade Najee at some point. You know, I didn't get what I wanted, so I took him 101. But yeah, it's like, a, <clears throat> I love the player. I mean, he's a little old. He's 23 behind a shitty offensive line. Like, 
We don't know his athletic measurable. I, I'm not, I don't think he's not a good athlete. It's just there's a lot of like just little questions there. He doesn't yeah. feel like the one-on-one to me is all I'm saying. Yeah, like, I you, know, yeah. you know, it's like, God, and I almost took Chase, but, you know, running back, you know, you know, you, you know so it's just it's a tough spot, but I'm with you. He has to be sort of that one-on-one there. Um, okay, so I'm with you on ETN too. It's like there's another ceiling play. Like, like he has a lower floor than I really want my RB2 in a, in a draft to look like. You know, I think – that's a little concerning, but I think with the, with the receiving, even if he is the quote unquote third, you know, if they drafted him to be, uh, you know, um, uh, JD McKissick, uh, <laughs> good work. But, yeah. uh, but even if they do like, that's fine, uh, for his floor. So I think maybe I'm, 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 I'm sort of underselling his floor. I think he probably has good floor and he has huge ceiling. So yeah, I think so too. So, uh, we're, we're there together, although <clears throat> I don't know. And, and so, so then it comes to the, to the Mac Jones question, because I think where you fit him in, in the super flex draft, because I, you know, is he right there with Wilson or is he further down the board for you? I think that's really the question I have. Like, I don't know what the hell to do with Mac Jones. And I've seen him slip into the early second round and super flex drafts. That just feels wrong to me. Yeah, I, I would agree. I mean, it, it's tough. If you have a, to me, if you have a top eight pick in Superflex this year, uh, you're, you're feeling pretty strong and, and feeling pretty good because you're locked into one of those top four quarterbacks. Uh, and then you get the, you know, Travis Etienne, uh, Najee Harris, Javante Williams, and then Jamar Chase, right? And Kyle Pitts, too. Um, yeah. So, so I guess that would be nine, but I, you know, regardless, um, to me, Mac Jones belongs in probably in a super flex format, probably in the Alabama wide receiver tier um, where I'm, I'm going to give Zach Wilson a pretty, a decently significant edge because number one, I think he's a better prospect. Um, number two, I think he's more mobile. And then number three, he has the draft capital to back him up more than Mac Jones does. I mean, even, even it doesn't, it doesn't appear to be significant draft capital, but it is, I mean, going from number two to 15 where Mac Jones was drafted is fairly significant. And we've seen a lot better hit rates from early first round quarterbacks than we have from mid round first round quarterbacks. Now I, I get the situation for Mac Jones is not bad at all. Uh, coaching wise, etc. you know, talent wise around him. I think it could use a little bit of work. Um, but I, I just think, you know, at the end of the day, I can see a path for Zach Wilson to be like a low end QB one in fantasy. Whereas I think Mac Jones is probably solidified as like a QB two, which is fine in yeah. super flex but I just don't know if that ceiling is truly there. Yeah. Um, I, I couldn't agree with you more again. Sorry folks for not <laughs> wanting to, but yeah, that's right. And I think the other thing that you point out is, you know, who knows about, I, I'm with you on hit rates, obviously the better player usually drafted first, but one of the other things is that contract that the top two, three players get is a little bit more onerous to maneuver away from than yeah. the 15th uh, pick contract which is not quite as uh, difficult to, to move off of in year two or three or something. So, you know, if all of a sudden it's a train wreck, you can kind of be like, yeah, we're, we're fine. We can move away here. But, you know, those top three picks, it's like you're kind of stuck with the dude. Um, so so I, I agree with that. So, so that takes us to another sort of highly volatile um, player in, 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 in so far as uh, Kyle Pitts. So, I think you and I would easily agree that Kyle Pitts is a generational tight end prospect, right? That, that period. We don't have to argue about that. That's true. That's just a fact. He actually plays 
you know, on the perimeter more than I think almost any tight end that we've seen maybe ever. I, I, I mean, I'm you have to go way the, way the hell back. I mean, Gronk didn't, Kelsey didn't, Kittle didn't, none of these guys, right? So of the elite tight end prospects, you know, whether it be Hawkinson or even Ebron, Ebron was drafted in the top 10. I mean, the, none of these guys played the perimeter like, like Pitts does. So that has been the sort of excuse for him to be moving up. I guess what I'm saying is we can both agree that he's this elite tight end prospect, but what is the correct process for us to draft and rank him? Yeah, it's tough, right? Um, I, I think that you have to put at least Najee, ETN, and Jamar Chase over Kyle Pitts um, just because of the capital involved, the players involved, etc. Um, but I will say, given where the rest of the wide receivers landed in the draft, given their overall profiles and who landed where and where they were drafted, I think there's an easy argument to make that Pitts is the, the fourth pick in a single quarterback league. Um, and that after you get past the quarterbacks we just talked about, non-Mac yeah. Jones quarterbacks, that's where you're you're taking Kyle Pitts because he he landed in the perfect spot. I mean, he's gonna like I, I plugged him into my projections. He's already the tight end six in, in right. those projections, and we know there's a ceiling there. We know that there's room for growth. We know that Julio's not going to be there uh, much longer either. So he's going to be the number two option in that offense fairly quickly, and it's going to be in the foreseeable future probably a fairly pass heavy offense. And so. You know, yes. I'm looking at this from not only the perspective of is he going to help my fantasy team, but also the perspective of appreciating assets, right? And there, there are some wide receivers where I have some concerns about their year one potential and that asset appreciating in value. Whereas I think Kyle Pitts is, I mean, the instant that Kyle Pitts has a 60 yard touchdown, it's over, right? Like you're, <laughs> yeah. you're, you're never trading. You're you're never trading for Kyle Pitts. Whereas, it's a great point. The, the 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 even the fade in the end zone where he catches one hand and brings yeah. it down over someone and stands over him, it's over. Like it's done. The you're first not getting Kyle Pitts. Pitts. That's right. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're not getting Kyle Pitts after that. And that's so right. so that's sort of my approach to this is that um you know a lot of the like I don't mind the the tier of Alabama. I don't mind where Devontae Smith is and Jalen Waddle is and. You know, there's a lot of good wide receivers in that tier after them as well. Um, but I just think, you know, if you're looking at this from the standpoint of longevity uh, of, I mean, if there's one prospect in this class that uh, I would say is, is, is the highest likely to, to be a hall of famer, it's Kyle Pitts. Right. Yeah. And so I, I, I like that longevity on my team. I, I, I understand. I mean, I, I've looked at this stuff for years and years of positional uh, value in fantasy football. And I understand that the tight end position does not hold nearly as much value as running back and wide receiver from straight right. up a supply and demand standpoint. But even still, you have to think about this from a lot of different angles. It's, it's the, 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 uh, how, how sure you are of these prospects, yeah. where, where they landed, et cetera, et cetera. And that's why I just think it makes sense to just put Kyle Pitts there because there is this like hole in rankings after you get, you know, from these elite running backs and Jamar chase, to, to where, right. And, to, and yeah. to where to me is Kyle Pitts. Yeah. And I think, I think you and I agree because I have him right there too, but here's what I've been seeing is that that's not good enough. You're not going to get him yeah. because he's going sooner than that. Like I think we're ranking him, you and I at his like floor, not, not, not his performance floor His where the hell he's going to be drafted yeah. for. We're like behind consensus being that far ahead, which to me is like kind of crazy because you really need him to pan out, but I, I think he will too. It's a really tough one, but you know, for me, I'm, I'm seeing him go in the top four and five in super flex drafts. Like it's crazy. And certainly in tight end premium, you can make a different argument, obviously, especially a two, a two tight end premium, you know, 
then it's totally different. Of course, I don't even. Exactly. Yeah, it's completely different. I took so, him. I actually took him at one hundred three in a two tight end league yeah. uh, yesterday, which was, I thought he was going to go one hundred one or at least one hundred two, and then someone took yeah. Najee, so I got very excited. Uh, but yeah, yeah, it makes total sense in a, in a tight end premium or a two tight end league. Absolutely, yeah, you got to smash him early, and, and of course, then then you got Javante Williams. And so Javante, you know, there's uh, there were some whispers and of course everybody surmised it was just Denver uh, saying it. Uh, but there was a lot of people saying like he was their uh, running back one on their board for NFL teams. And, you know, when you watch his film, he does look like the RB one when you watch a run. Yeah. Now he ran a, I want to say somewhere around a four, six, which is not slow. I'm not saying he's slow, but it's not, you know, he's not acres chub type of athlete um he just you know isn't that fast but he doesn't need to be if he's jacobs monty with a little bit more you know violence and and an explosion and and man the skill set looks to be all there i mean catching the ball out of the backfield i am extremely excited to draft javante williams late in the first round of a super flex league and i'm on the clock at pick five uh, in a uh, in a one quarterback league, and I'm smashing Javante ahead of all the other wide receivers, you know, because the four we just mentioned are gone. It's Etienne, Pitts, Chase, uh, and Najee are gone, and and I'm happily as soon as this pot is done, going to go smash Javante. I think that's a fine spot for him. I feel really good about that. Uh, how do you feel about Javante in that spot, um, or do you would you would you be okay any higher or lower? Total agreement. I have met, yeah. I have met five. Uh, you know, you mentioned his, his slower 40. That's somewhat of a concern, but we've seen, you know, players of, I mean, someone at uh, Mike Renner at, P, at pro football focus has comped Javante Williams to Alvin Kamara. Um, <laughs> and, and really, you know, I think people, people look at Kamara and they, they think for, for whatever reason, Kamara always gets like this, like, Oh, but he's a smaller back. No, Kamara is not a smaller it's back. Like two twenty. Yeah, he yeah. is not small. And Javante Williams, Javante Williams has a similar build uh, yep. as Alvin Kamara does, and he can catch passes out of the backfield. And he's not the slowest dude in the world, but uh, his ability to break tackles is something that I've never seen before. And actually, according to PFF, he he had the highest broken tackles per attempt in the history of their charting. So, right, uh, I really like Javante. I think. You know, uh, from a dynasty perspective, people obviously understand that Melvin Gordon's could be gone this year, but definitely gone next year with his, him being a free agent. But even like a redraft perspective, I'm going to be into Javante because I like targeting those ambiguous backfields. And if there's someone in that, that backfield that's going to emerge and be a true workhorse, it's very clearly Javante Williams and not Melvin Gordon. Right. Uh, yeah. You, you, well, the, the redraft situation is always a little murky. It depends on where he's going. Uh, Javante, that is, because I, I sort of I mentioned uh you know, that I think it's like uh, the the Javante Melvin Gordon situation is a lot like the Chubb Hyde situation a few years back, where if you look at the splits for Chubb for, for the first six games or something, he had like three or four carries, maybe five, topped out at five. And everybody's like really pissed off <laughs> that Chubb wasn't playing. And then like he, he saw like 20 and 25 carries the next two games and like was gone from there. And, and I think that's what I, we're going to see to some degree. We're going to see Melvin Gordon sort of be like, I'm the pro, I'm the guy, here's how it's done. You know, there's a lot to learn. It's not like, oh, you just go out there and run the ball. No, there's protection, there's there's audible. I mean, it's just a lot to learn. Let's just put it that way. You know, what do you do here? How do you run this? You know, all that stuff. Um, and so, yeah, he's going to need to learn it. And, and I think he gets the, the ability to do that and to sort of just play in situations where they can control, you know, what play they're running and, and what he's learning at that time. And I think it's going to be a lot like that because as you point out, Melvin Gordon is definitely not going to be there next year. I mean, 
you know, he, this is the last year of his contract. They're not going to release him either because it makes no sense fiscally to do so. So he's going to be there as sort of a, a roadblock to Javante's production. But I think at some point it will loosen up. And certainly by next year, I think they view him as the lead back. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, he's probably a late, uh, a mid-season buy in Dynasty, especially if uh, if it falls off. Uh, I mean, excuse me, if uh, if he doesn't really come out the gate. Um, so then it brings us to, you know, now it feels like Devontae Smith is an absolute steal at six. Uh, I kind of have Devontae Smith ahead of all the other ones, me personally. So I have sort of a Devontae Smith tier right here at pick six. And then I have the big wide receiver tier of, you know, Elijah Moore, Rondell Moore, um, Terrace Marshall, Rashad Bateman, and Jalen Waddle, and I'm just smashing those wide receivers until until they're gone. Yeah. Uh, do you agree with that? Yeah. So I have Devontae next as well. Um, you know, there's there's red flags to his profile still, despite what he did last season. You know, he's not an early declare, which I know people have brushed brushed off and said it doesn't matter uh, because he won the Heisman. I get that, yeah. but at the same time, I, I do think that there's an argument to be made that if he did come out early. Uh, you know, the reason he didn't come out early is because he likely knew that he wasn't going to be a first round pick, which is fine. But, but at the same time, that's the, the reason there's signal with early declares is because of that, because a player is not talented enough to come out and get the draft capital that he wants or that he expects. Now he came out and just destroyed college football last season. So we can at least take that with a grain of salt, but it is still something to think about. And then obviously it's, it's not obviously, nothing. Right. And obviously the size thing is something, not nothing. You know, I, I, I don't think it's nearly as big of a deal as like BMI Twitter would. Uh, but I do think that it's something, you know, it's in my BMI, a wide receivers in my model doesn't mean nearly as much as it does at, at running back, but Me it too. does get, it does get some signal. So yes. there are some red flags with Smith landing spot wise, not necessarily ideal either. Cause there's a lot of, a lot of moving parts in Philadelphia, but I mean, he, he's the one wide receiver in this next group. Uh, whether you're putting him in his own tier or not, uh, where he can step in and be the wide receiver one this season, right? Yes. Where, whereas I don't think you have that with really, I mean, I guess you would have it with like Rashad Bateman, but it's a different scenario, obviously, and him being in Baltimore and it being such a run heavy team. So uh, I, I have Devontae Smith right there. He's my wide receiver two in this class. I think he's locked into that. And now it, it, it you know, pre-draft, it was a little bit easier to tell a story about like a Terrace Marshall um, and that, and I did do that in my, or Rashad Bateman. Uh, but now just given everything and how it went down, it's pretty easy for me to put Devonte Smith there. And so then in that, that yeah, I'm with you by the way, and I was flirting with both of Bateman and, 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 and if Bateman had gone to Tennessee, maybe, right. and I know that sounds weird because we made this mistake and here's my question. You know, we made this mistake with AJ Brown of landing spot. We do it and I'm, I'm doing it again. I, I feel it happening and I'm not saying that I'm wrong, but I feel it happening. Am I, am I an idiot here? I mean, with Bateman, I mean, should, what the hell, man? <laughs> no, you're not an idiot. I, I, I think that we get ourselves in a lot of trouble when we look at success stories and compare something that is incredibly ambiguous. We're predicting the future, we're forecasting, and we're attributing that thing to a success story. And so what I mean by that is Rashad Bateman versus AJ Brown. AJ Brown, when he gets drafted, a lot of us loved AJ Brown as a prospect, but he was going to a team led by Marcus Mariota that has been very run heavy and, and it still is run heavy, right. but, but AJ Brown hit AJ Brown is a top five to 10 wide receiver in this league. If I mean, he might even be higher than that. For sure. So, yeah. so when we, we start to, when we start to make these comparisons between AJ Brown and Rashad Bateman, 
we're making these comparisons under the assumption that Rashad Bateman is going to be AJ Brown. Right. So if, if you were to promise me that Rashad Bateman would be as good as AJ Brown, he would be my wide receiver too in this class. Well said. But you, but you can't promise me that. We don't <laughs> right. know that. So landing spot has to matter. And you know why I know that landing spot matters, even though people say landing spot doesn't matter for me. It's because if I were to sit here and say, do you want Rashad Bateman to go to Kansas City or Baltimore? 100% of you would say Kansas City. No one would be saying Baltimore. That's how we know that landing spot matters to some degree. And if you look at Baltimore, there's massive differences between the way Baltimore is running their offense and the situation with that than what A.J. Brown was walking to in Tennessee. Baltimore far more run heavy than even Tennessee was when A.J. Brown landed there. And the difference, too, is that A.J. Brown had Marcus Mariota, this question mark at quarterback, and we used that against him, where where technically he could have gotten an upgrade, which he did. He got an upgrade uh, to go to, excuse me, to go to to Ryan Tannehill for Marcus Mariota. With, with, With Rashad Bateman, he's going to Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson is not leaving Baltimore. Lamar Jackson is the quarterback for the Baltimore Ravens. And as long as Lamar Jackson's the quarterback for the Baltimore Ravens, they're not going to be even an average team in pass to rush ratio. They're not going to be an average team in pass attempts because Lamar Jackson is very efficient on the ground. And I also have seen the comparison of Baltimore to Buffalo, where Buffalo adds Stefan Diggs and they change things up and they all... The difference is that the opportunity cost for Buffalo to go from the offense they were running to the offense they ran last year was small because their run game sucked. Baltimore's run game is actually good. So if they become a more pass-heavy team, the opportunity cost is you're not going to be running as as much, running the football as much, and that's actually an efficient way that you're running the football. So to me, there are so many reasons why Rashad Bateman is not walking into a Buffalo situation, is not walking into an A.J. Brown situation. It's completely separate, completely different. That's why he got bumped down in my tier, in this tier, in my rankings. And that's why J.J. Zacharyson is the best. That was that was that was fire. That was perfect. Thank you. That was perfect. Nice job. And, and uh, you're welcome. And um, I would add, um, you know, you you mentioned the Buffalo thing. I haven't looked at it, and I'll have to go back and look at it now that you mention it. Uh, but last year, uh, Lamar Jackson targeted wide receivers like just over 200 times. Right. Like that's. I didn't look. That's the lowest in the league. I don't have to look. That's the lowest in the league. And and Marquise Brown saw 100 of those. Now, I'm not saying that Marquise Brown is going to see 100 targets again, which, by the way, pour one out for Marquise Brown because he's not seeing 100 targets again for a little while. But um, there's a little bit of concern there. Now, I think Bateman does go in and become the wide receiver one. But what exactly is that? You know what I mean? That's what we don't know. And so. Yeah. And and sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. The thing, the thing, too, too, is that people seem to think that one wide receiver, two wide receivers are going to drastically change a scheme because they see it happen in like Buffalo, but teams are adding pieces like this all the time and their schemes aren't drastically changing. Always. In the case of Baltimore, they have such a specific scheme that does not feature wide receivers. It makes sense from a real football standpoint to go out and get Rashad Bateman in the first round. They They needed that kind of player that can play all over the field, play the perimeter, go in the slot, do it all. And that's what Rashad Bateman can and will (laughs) do. But but and catch can't. the football in a playoff game and not drop the ball yeah, repeatedly right. Right. so they right. lose. I mean, really, I mean, right. drops lost a playoff game for them. And right. so, the, yeah, let's get some guys who can it, catch it. It makes sense. I just don't think that people fully realize what it's going to take for for uh, from a change standpoint for Baltimore to all of a sudden become a team that's worthy enough for a wide receiver to thrive in fantasy. And I'm not saying that <clears throat> Bateman won't have spiked weeks 
or that Bateman can't be a wide receiver too even. I just have zero faith that Bateman's going to be able to be a wide receiver one. And if I'm spending that kind of pick with the wide receivers going around him, right, with with any of those in that tier, they all have that ceiling to some degree. And I, or, or at least a similar degree as, as Rashad Bateman would now. So let's, let's, let's do this then. Cause I'm with you and I don't know what the hell to do right now. Do you have Jalen Waddle or Rashad Bateman? I have Jalen Waddle after Devonte Smith. Yeah. Do you have Terrace Marshall or Rashad Bateman? Terrace Marshall is my next wide receiver. He's my wide receiver four in this class, which I think is probably higher than, than consensus. But I just, I, I think that he's one of the, few wideouts in this class with alpha potential. And and then you have Bateman, is that correct? Uh I actually have Elijah Moore and then There you go. There you yeah. go. So I, I, I agree. Uh I, I don't agree in so far as that I'm I have him a little bit different, but I, I've been tinkering with that tier a lot. And right yeah. now I have Terrace Marshall ahead of Bateman. And I have Bateman and Waddle together there. And I, and and who knows I, it's just so hard because you know you start talking about so let's let's go to Terrace Marshall because I think I can't wait to draft Terrace Marshall everywhere in the second round of Superflex uh, drafts and late first in all these. Uh, like I've got the 2.01 in a, in a one quarterback draft, and it's very possible Terrace Marshall falls because people are looking overlooking him because of how far he fell. He fell into the second round. It's not the end of the world, late second round. He also went to a team that there's a perception that he's going to be buried. I don't know why that's the case. No. DJ Moore is going to play on the outside. Uh, Rob, Robbie Anderson's going to play on the outside and who played slot all this last year exactly. at LSU was Terrace Marshall. If you tell me he's going to be their starting slot, that's why I have him right after Devonte Smith, because I think he's as good at, and he's going to a coach who knows him. His, 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 uh, his former college coach has just drafted him. I mean, I just think this is an absolute home run in my opinion. Well, here's the other thing. Robbie Anderson's a free agent next year. So so all of a sudden you're going to have a DJ Moore and Terrace Marshall uh, wide receiver situation with, with nothing behind them. Uh, And then obviously Christian McCaffrey out of the backfield. But even when you're projecting this season alone, Terrace Marshall can easily capture like a 17 to 18% target share. Uh, And and him as a prospect drives me nuts because I, 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 I try to look at this stuff with, with as much nuance and uh, you know, open-mindedness as possible my prospect model looks at three main production metrics. It looks at, at receptions per game, uh, yards per team pass attempt, and and total touchdown share. And it takes the the best seasons from each of those three uh, production metrics. Terrace Marshall's sophomore season uh, was was actually competing. You know, through the first four games before he hurt his foot, he had one fewer reception than Justin Jefferson and one more touchdown. He was competing Bingo. with those guys. Yes. Right? Then he gets hurt, and then his his season doesn't go as planned. And then this past season, he opts out after seven games. LSU plays 10 games. So all of his season-long numbers, if you're looking at market share, are 70% of what what he actually what could have played, right? right. And it was, because, it was because of an opt-out. It wasn't even because of an injury. It wasn't because of some you know something off the field. It was, we're playing, and these guys are playing during a pandemic, and Terrace Marshall is saying, I don't want to play during a pandemic because I can be a first-round pick potentially. Then he fell to the second because of these medicals. But if you give... Terrace Marshall, all of that context, he had a good breakout age. He has uh, his yards per team pass attempt. If you look at the seven games last season, totally fine. Hits the right thresholds. His touchdown share is out of control because he's just been an uh, an elite touchdown scorer. He was in college. Uh, And then his receptions per game was good this past year. And then on top of that, in a class that lacks size, Terrace Marshall's 6'3", 205 pounds, and he tested really well athletically. And by the way, he just landed with his offensive coordinator from, from college and Joe Brady. 
So there are all these things coming together for Terrace Marshall. And I feel like I feel the same way where people looked at this landing spot as like a bad one for him. Uh, but to me, it's one of the better ones when you give it the context of the rest of this wide receiver class. I agree 100%. And I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to piggyback on what you just said about Terrace Marshall. You talked about his uh his sophomore se- season not being quite, you know, what he wanted it to be because of injury. He scored 13 receiving touchdowns. I mean, mm-hmm. he was great. He's been, you know, 15 or 16 yards of catch his entire career. Some people will point to his freshman season and his freshman season was subpar. He only had uh, you know, 200 yards. Oh my god, that's terrible. Well, Jamar Chase had 300, so you don't like him either. Yeah. It's like you know, so let's just kind of temper everything. And by the way, Justin Jefferson had 800 yards in that offense and was the leading receiver. The next, uh, that, that, that offense was terrible. And that actually is kind of interesting that, you know, Joe Burrow emerged from that offense and all these guys emerged from that offense because it was 800 yards and then a guy with 300 yards. And, and I mean, that was it receiving wise. So even his 200 yard season, his freshman year, when you put context to it, isn't as bad as, you know, you, you would have thought. They didn't throw the ball effectively at all down the field. They didn't call the appropriate plays. And then you're right. In his sophomore year, he was really dominating. As you point out, in those first four games, he was ahead of uh, Justin Jefferson in terms of total raw production and gets hurt. And then, as you point out again, in his senior season, in seven games, 731 yards, 10 touchdowns. So he's averaging over 100 yards and over a touchdown a game, uh, receiving on a team that, wasn't again passing the ball quite as effectively as of course the year before so I'm with you 100 percent and you know certainly there was some concerns from the NFL about Terrace Marshall which is the same corollary you brought up with Justin Fields which is the only thing holding me back because he was a five-star recruit coming out of high school and you know I'm just gonna bet on it um and, and I can't wait to sort of have Terrace Marshall in a bunch of spots yeah, for sure. I mean, it's crazy to think that that his and I said this pre-draft too, and I got pushback somehow. But like his his wide receiver teammates in college are no matter where he went in the NFL, were going to be better. He, had to, yeah. he played he played with Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson, a dude who just went fifth overall, and a guy who just broke the rookie receiving record. And you're yeah. going to tell me that anywhere he landed would be better? Per, like it just doesn't make any sense. He played with. And not only that, he played with Clyde Edwards-Alaire too, and Thad Moss, yeah. and these guys. I mean, he played with a lot of good talent in college, um, and he still he still thrived. He still performed. And, and Boutte last year, so yeah, absolutely, yeah, Boutte, they, exactly. Yeah, I mean, he's he's had great he's great teammates the whole way through, and and has been able to produce on a per game basis. His raw stats sort of hide him a little bit. I think he's a hidden gem. I think he's you know look. He may not pan out, of course. Neither you or I are saying he's going to definitely be. No, we're saying that the odds are that he's he, he's undervalued at this particular point. Um, so I'm I'm with you there. And and so now it kind of comes to okay. So you get through the you know, and you guys can divide them up how you like this. This Devonte Smith, Terrace Marshall, Rashad Bateman, Jalen Waddle, Rondell Moore, Elijah Moore. We love all these players. Um, I then have the Michael Carter, Trey Sermon uh, duo. Is there if you're on the clock and they're both there and you don't like anybody else, they're they're there for you. Who do you have first? Who are you taking first? That's I'm going with one. yeah, I'm I'm going with Sermon first. I I just am going to lean <laughs> draft capital a little bit more, yeah. and and in my model he looks better uh, th- than Carter uh, because the model looks at size too, and and Sermon I think has a little bit more upside to to be able to handle a big workload. Uh, Carter found the right spot though because uh, to me, you know, my comp for Carter coming out was Giovanni Bernard actually from the same school. Uh, and you know, I think that he's gonna, he, he could have that satellite back type role at the very least, but the great part about the jets is that he's likely going to see some, a, a good bit of early down work too here in year yeah. one. And so it's the perfect landing spot for Carter. There's no doubt. I just have a hard time backing away from 
Sermon in a Kyle Shanahan run game where the last two seasons in San Francisco 49ers running backs have ranked first and third in fantasy points scored. And that's with an offense that doesn't necessarily move the ball well uh, through the air uh, because of the quarterback situation they've had. Um, And so to me, I'm leaning Sermon. He was my RB4 pre-draft too. Wasn't really because of what I saw from a production standpoint, obviously, because he went through a really interesting journey. Uh, well, it's probably projected guy. draft capital too, right? I mean, yeah, it was, pro- it was yeah. all, it's all yeah. projected ca- draft capital. Yeah. To me, he was, to me, I, I just, I, I had this feeling that he was going to be the guy who really rose dra- on draft rookie draft boards post draft yeah, because he was the only guy outside of the top <clears throat> three that I could see a team falling in love with because of his size. As a lead back. As a lead back, exactly. Because yeah. of his size and the fact that he did what he did in these big games. And people yeah. would see that and be like, oh, he's a gamer. Got to get him. Because he <laughs> yeah. ran for 331 yards against Northwestern. You have to get him. Uh, yes. So I, I think that's a big reason why, why you know, I liked him pre-draft and then why why San Francisco ended up getting him. Is there, should we be concerned now? I, I Maybe in, in redraft, but in dynasty, should we be concerned with the glut of running backs there? Um, you know, Mostert. Jeff Wilson, Gallman, uh, J. Michael Hasty, and now uh, Elijah Mitchell. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think any of these guys are specifically better than Sermon, specifically in a way that they're going to steal his touches. But should we be concerned that it could be more of a, a typical Kyle Shanahan situation where nobody ever sees more than 50% of the total workload there this season or any season where he's just another cog in the machine where, you know, Mostert's getting, you know, some, he's getting some, they're just rotating backs as they've kind of done under Shanahan. It's like, if you could combine those running backs, they're the best running back in the NFL, but you can never really rely on any one of them. And, and he's only got third round draft cap. He's not an elite prospect in our models. Should we maybe be pumping the brakes a little bit on him? I just don't know. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, I think there's definitely a concern, but I think that's partially why he's being drafted where he's being drafted. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, one of the things that I've found uh, perusing and, and analyzing uh, rookie draft data over the last 10 or so years is that uh, one of the best values that you can find in rookie drafts are second round running backs who are day two picks. So guys who like Trey Sermon, right? Yeah. He's, he's likely going to fall in the second round in a lot of drafts uh, and he's a day two pick. Uh, uh, for San Francisco, those guys, you tip, you know, it's like a Jeremy Hill type, right? Like guys who, who just slip through the cracks because a lot of times they don't have necessarily have that immediate production in Sermon's case. I think he would fall a little bit because we've seen Kyle Shanahan get production out of nobody running backs. Right. And I will say too, I, I do think if you're in a lot of dynasty leagues, uh, I would, I would try to spread it out a little bit and, you know, get Sermon here and there, but also throw darts at Elijah Mitchell, because if you, I love if you, Elijah Mitchell. If you look at what has worked and what Kyle Shanahan has done with his running backs historically, leaner running backs, late round picks who are fast. Like yeah. Elijah Mitchell is sort of Raheem Mostert. Like it's the it's the same kind of situation, the same kind of back. Um, and I saw I, I honestly think that uh, San Francisco didn't necessarily have plans to pick him, uh, but they just saw good value in him and and they they like him as a player. So. I would still be drafting Elijah Mitchell, even though I think that Trey Sermon is like a fringe first round pick. And, you know, like after that, that wide receiver tier, yeah. I'd still be going after Elijah Mitchell because again, I'm going to embrace the variance there. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, I, I loved Elijah Mitchell from the beginning, you know, uh, as soon as I started to sort of dig into this running back class, I sort of unearthed him because I didn't know anything about anybody because I don't really watch college football. And, and then it just kind of kept growing and growing. And now he lands in San Francisco with Kyle Shanahan, unfortunately behind a, a glut of running backs, which is concerning. But, um, you know, and of course 
this was this was fantastic. This was before the draft. I uh, I hopped on Player Profiler and and take a guess as to who their um, uh, comp is for Elijah Mitchell. Um, Jarek McKinnon. Yeah, how do you, do you are you this good or did you just know? Oh, you was it really good. was it really Jarek McKinnon? I swear McKinnon? on my life. I swear on my life. I felt like you're cheating. <laughs> My hands are right here. I didn't look at anything. Yeah. I, I know you didn't look. I just thought maybe you – yes, it's Jared McKinnon. And so I got this whole like nostalgic excitement for – I was like, this is too much for me. I can't handle this because I, I can't fall for Jared McKinnon 2.0 in yeah. San Francisco. Yeah. I yeah. just assumed I just assumed it was a San Francisco back. You, so I, this I went, is why yeah. you're the best in the business. <laughs> Folks, this was first take. First try. Um, that was awesome. Oh, but so it's, it was Jared McKinnon. And you're right. I mean he's smallish. He's fast. I mean complete – uh, athlete all the way across the board like you know those little bars that go up a pro, 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 player profile they're all like you know through the roof like this kid is is electric and you know if he can yeah if he can carve his way onto the field somehow some way he, he could light it on fire and so yeah i'm with you um the the problem is is that you got to draft him in and be okay that he just doesn't even make the team or something yeah right like yeah, yeah. the floor is literally never that's plays true. an nfl yeah. down like that's yeah. the floor it's incredible yeah. so so jj we're you know we we, we go through the, the 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 premium guys one through five gets us through uh javante williams then Devonte smith and that the, the rest of that group of wide receivers uh, basically gets us through almost round one, basically, um, you know, pick 11 Carter and sermon sort of turn into round two. And uh, before we started, you kind of said, then we're in no man's land. And, and I agree, although there's, I have this little group of, of wide receivers and there's some other, there's just a lot of players here that it is no man's land because there's a bunch of guys who maybe, you know, and, I start with two guys that I actually feel pretty good about, not really good about. And that's Amon Ross, St. Brown, and Diami Brown. Mm -hmm. Both of these guys were in my top 10 wide receivers pre-draft, and they kind of fell to that spot, right? They were top 10 wide receivers or close to it in the NFL draft. Um, They got late uh, day two, early day three cap. I mean, I think Amon Ross was like real early fourth. Diami was really late third. So, right on the cusp of where you want them to go. They both kind of went to fairly good situations insofar as opportunity is concerned. They're not completely buried. Um, I, you know, a lot of people are overdrafting Amon Ra at this particular point. In my humble opinion, they're putting him way up there because of the situation. I think this is where they're drafting positive situations, sort of the opposite of the Rashad Bateman negative situation. They're thinking, Oh, he's going to walk into a hundred, 120 targets. I wouldn't be so sure. Uh, you know, they could they could sign a free agent, Detroit this being. Uh, they could trade for a player. Uh, you know, there's going to be releases and all sorts of stuff, and that always happens every year. And 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 so he could – and look, they have Tyrell Williams, Quintez Cephas. I'm not saying these guys are good, Brashad Perriman, but they are NFL players who might play ahead of him. Uh, yeah. there, there's no guarantee he's going to start. So I have Diami Brown and, and Amon Ra right there. Is is that who you have next, or or are you going in a different direction right after that? Trey Sermon, Michael Carter. I actually have Kadarius Tony there. I, that, okay. That's that's where I'm I'm biting the bullet and just saying, all right, I guess I'm I'm gonna throw this first round wide receiver in there. Uh, now I'll say this about about Kadarius Tony. Uh, he has a negative stat score in my model. Um, and historically, first round wide receivers who have had negative stat scores, there's been nine of them, and all of them have busted. So yeah. the chance that Kadarius Tony actually pans out at the NFL level 
not very high, uh, in my opinion, but I do think that capital alone, like this is, this is similar to almost similar to Henry Ruggs last year, except the difference is, uh, you know, the, the opportunity cost and getting Kadarius Tony is not nearly as significant as it was in order to get Henry Ruggs last season. I think most of the dynasty world is totally cool with, uh, cool with, with fading Kadarius Tony. And that actually presents an opportunity to say, you know, if he falls to me in the second round in the mid second round or something, I'm, I'm okay with doing that because I do think there are still flags with the other guys you're getting around there. After you get out of that, that, you know, the Elijah Moore, Rondell Moore, Rashad Bateman type tier, there are still flags with Deami Brown to a degree. I, I like Brown a lot. I, I think Brown, I have Brown ahead of, of Amon Ross St. Brown, but I think I still have them in the same tier. But Brown uh, actually ranks as an 81st percentile wide receiver in my model. Anything above the 80th is usually pretty good. Um, you know, he, he really checks a lot of boxes across the board from a production standpoint. And then with Amon Ra, you know, I, I wasn't as high on him entering the draft as others were. And the main reason for that is, you know, the first two years, yeah, he was productive. And he was actually keeping pace with Michael Pittman at USC, and that's great. Uh, but last season, I... I got scared a little bit because he goes from playing mostly the slot with Michael Pittman there to then playing the perimeter um, this past year. And he, his production dropped dramatically uh, from a market share standpoint. And so what's likely to happen is he's going to play the slot in Detroit, I would assume, right? He's right. going to be a slot receiver at the NFL level. But to me, there's, there's a cap ceiling to some degree with totally. Him. And so, totally. and so my fear with Amon Ra, even though he could see volume right away in that Detroit offense how good is that volume going to be? And because because not only are you in an offense that's not very good, and you have Jared Goff throwing you the ball, I understand Goff did well with, with Cooper Cup, and this could be a Cooper Cup-type situation, but those targets are not going to be very valuable, not only because of average at the target, not only because of end zone targets, but, are, but also because of the quarterback who's throwing those passes. So I, like you, think that people are overstating the year one impact of Amon-Ra, not even just because of competition they could add, but because of the type of player and the type of position he's going to be playing in that Detroit offense. So to me, I like Deami Brown more than Amon-Ra. I'm just throwing a dart with Kadarius Toney because who knows? We like Again, we it's, it's first round capital where a lot of teams, not just New York, a lot of teams were into Kadarius Toney. And there's at least somewhat of a journey uh, that, that he's gone through from being more of a utility guy to then only playing wide receiver this past year, playing quarterback in high school, where you can latch on to some sort of story. And, and to me at that point in the draft, uh, that's where, like, that's how, how quickly things dry up where you do have to sort of tell those stories. I, I can understand like a Diami Brown above Kadarius Tony for sure. But yeah. I think once you get to Amon Ross St. Brown, where you're drafting a fourth rounder over a first rounder, it's just it, it, like, I would can you, understand. Let me ask both, you this question. Would you rather, would you rather have Gabe Davis or Henry Ruggs? I mean, in prob- dynasty, probably, probably Gabe Davis. Yes, you would probably And you're correct. Cause Gabe Davis is a better football player than Henry Ruggs. I mean, that's just, that's just the facts. And, and so I'm going to, I'm going to submit this to you. I'm going to make you move Kadarius Tony down. I'm going to ask the question this way. Who do you think is a better football player, better wide receiver? I just shouldn't say football player. Cause actually Kadarius Tony is a pretty good little football player. He can play quarterback. He can play running back. He can do a lot of things in the football field. He's a hell of a football player. Who's a better wide receiver, Diami Brown or Kadarius Tony? Diami Brown. Who has a better um, road to opportunity, Diami Brown or Kadarius Tony? Diami Brown. 
So why are, what, don't overthink it. I, I, that's why I'm not. Well, uh, so you know. here's I, I would agree with the Diami Brown point. I think that the Amon Ra and the 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 comp to Gabriel Davis is sort of the fallacy that we fall into. With By the way, I don't think Amon Amon Ra is as good as Gabe Davis, but keep going. Yeah, yeah, Sorry. but that, yeah, but yeah, I no. think that's I, I think that's the point though, right? Because yeah. like if if we're talking a, a fourth round hit, which was what Gabe Davis was, of course, yes. right? But I, I don't think we can make that assumption for Amon Ross St. Brown, which is why I'm going to feel agree. a little bit more confident with Kadarius Tony. But I do think, you know, talking through it and thinking about it more, that Diami Brown, sure, if we if we want to put Diami Brown over Kadarius Tony, um, it makes total sense because I so do think better prospects. Two, I ranked them higher pre-draft, et cetera. Et cetera. Yeah, there's 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 two fourth round guys that we think could hit, I suppose. Although Tylen Wallace being one of them is now a. This is really sad because I, I love Tylen Wallace, yeah. the player, and now he's behind Marquise Brown, as I call him, San Bernardino Brown, and um, uh, you know Rashad Bateman in that pecking order of wide receiver targets, of which there were only 200 or so last year. So eh, it's not a very good bet. Fourth round, senior injury. Okay, maybe we should pour one out for Tylen. I'll be drafting him at some point, uh, you know, when I can afford to do so in the third round of drafts because I love him. Yeah. Uh, but and so him and Amon Ra are those fourth round, you know, guys that we can say, hey, they check a lot of boxes. They're, they're the sort of Gabe Davis players in this draft anyway that check a lot of boxes, but didn't get the capital. However, there's two players who did get the capital who maybe also could be and they are over Kadarius Tony for me, who, who could be over Kadarius Tony uh, day two cap and. Pretty good landing spot. Well, at least one of them is a good landing spot. The other one's just opportunity. Nico Collins lands in an opportunity spot, and Josh Palmer lands in a great landing spot where if he gets any opportunities there, tethered to um, you know uh, Herbert, could just go crazy as well. Especially if um, Mike Williams leaves next year. Obviously, um, you know Keenan Allen get a little bit older. Opportunities could show themselves for each of these players. I have them both ahead of Kadarius Tony. Would it, might I interest you in some Nico Collins or Josh Josh Palmer, sir? Yeah. So here's the thing with with Collins. It, it, so I'll start with Collins. I liked Collins pre-draft. You know, he's one of the few wide receivers in this class with size. Um, and, and you know, I'm gonna you know chase that alpha prototype. Yep. Um, the the problem though with Collins um, is and Palmer too. I mean, both guys is that in my model their stat scores also sucked. Yeah. Uh, you know, like, like if we're like, so with, with Kadarius, Tony, um, he's below average. So zero being the average he's below average, but it's not as far below average as, I mean, he's, he doesn't even have as bad of a stat score as Henry Ruggs did in my model. And so there, there are reasons at least for some optimism compared to some of these other comps that we're talking about, at least from a stat score standpoint, he actually has a, I, uh, he actually has a better, slightly better, stat score than Nico Collins does too. Actually a, a way better stat score. Uh, and then Josh Palmer, um, he's just someone that didn't have, I mean, he wasn't even like on my radar. Pre which I think is the fact, the, the, the fact for a lot of people who uh, analyze this stuff. So, yeah. so I get the landing spot argument, but I think at that point I am looking just as much at the players. And I mean, I can make an argument for Kadarius Tony's upside just as much as those guys, despite the fact that, you know, I do think the one thing with Tony too if I go back to wanting to obtain these appreciating assets is in year one, he is very likely to do very little. Yes. He, he's, he's very likely to do very little, but very I do likely. Think, I do think year two is a chance for him because of yes, the Sterling Shepard contract and all of that. 
So there's a chance potentially to be able to buy Kadarius Tony if you didn't draft him uh, after yes. year one, which which is probably the best route to go. Um, but I do like. I like agree I said, with that. By the way, I, I, I will be on this. I, 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 so I've I've called Kadarius Tony Cadaver the Tony because he's dead to me. Um, but um, but I will be the one buying him next year because you're right. At, at his cost, he's going to disappoint very likely in year one, and then I'll be high on Kadarius yeah. Tony. I comp Kadarius Tony to Lynn Bowden. You know yeah. these sort of multi-purpose weapons with great athleticism who can do it all, and I'm just not so sure like how they're going to use them. I mean, you know, Lynn Bowden, you know, doesn't have Saquon Barkley on his team. So they can, they can use him in the backfield and do this. You're not going to put Kadarius Tony in at the back, in the backfield and be like, Saquon, sit this one out. We need a passing down back for this. You know, what are you talking about? Right. And so he's not a better uh, stretch Z than even Slayton. Uh, He's certainly not an alpha X. He's not going to take any of Galladay's and he is not a slot technician as good as Sterling Shepard. Now, that's his that's his out in my opinion. I'm with you 100%. I think yeah. in that slot Shepard moves on next year. He actually could be pretty good in that role. I'll give him that. Right. Um if he had landed in a spot where, you know, the slot was a, you know, if he had landed in Carolina like in that Curtis Samuel role, I'd have been like, "Oh shit. Maybe yeah. you know, uh, now he almost moves into that." So, you know, cuz opportunity is going to be king for him cuz he's not going to create his own opportunity because he's not an outstanding wide receiver. He's an outstanding football player who's going to need things schemed for him and sort of the opportunities created for him. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It absolutely makes sense. The other thing, I want to add this with Deami Brown too. I, I, I don't mind the landing spot at all. I just am questioning how they're going to utilize their wide receivers because my thought going into the season when they signed Curtis Samuel was that they were going to use Curtis Samuel the same way that coaching staff did uh, their last season in Carolina, which is a much more vertical oriented role than what he yes. sort of regressed back to how they, he was utilizing college in his early career this past year under Matt rule and, and Joe Brady. Yep. And so when they signed Curtis Samuel, I was like, Oh, Curtis Samuel's going to have this high a dot connect him with Ryan Fitzpatrick. This is perfect. Right. But mm-hmm. now they get Deami Brown, who is that guy, right? Who, Correct. who, who stretches the field. He was top 10 in every deep ball category this past year. So I, not to say that I'm going to overthink that and say that they don't know what they're doing and they're going to not know how to utilize and deploy these guys. No, but you're right. But, but I do think there's a little bit of a dissonance there between these two players because they realistically were using or were going to be utilized in a very similar way. Uh, and so I don't know exactly where Diami Brown fits. And that, that to me is just another reason why I'm just like, like, like where do I place him? Where exactly? And that's, that's the main point for me where there's just this massive massive drop off after those running backs and you get into this like all these question marks with these wide receivers i totally agree with you by the way yeah it's like from diami brown through amon raw all the way down with all these wide receivers there's sort of that and that's why i'd be more than happy in a in a one quarterback league to sort of trade down because someone's probably going to let one of the guys you really like, you know, they're going to take Kadarius Tony. They're going to take maybe Tylen Wallace. They're going to take Amon Ra. They're going to take Nico Collins or something. And you're going to be sitting there going, I just traded down seven spots. I'm drafting Dami Brown. So, you know, I think that's probably the right way to go. And, and then there's this little, I have this little group, uh, you know, somewhere in that, you know, late second, early third of running backs that I have no idea what to do with. Um, Chuba Hubbard, Kenny Gainwell, Ramondre Stevenson, and Elijah Mitchell. Gainwell sort of lands in that Boston Scott role, and I think he's going to eat some of uh, Miles Sanders' uh, uh, opportunities. 
he might even play a little wide receiver. Like, I, I don't know, like, like little slot opportunities and, you know, maybe they'll be on the field together, him and Sanders. And I just don't know what to make of what he's actually going to have as far as opportunity. Um, Ramondre Stevenson, we titled one of our shows about Ramondre early. I was all excited about Ramondre. Then I got completely off Ramondre and then my Patriots dropped his ass. And <laughs> I, I am, I am so up and up in the air with this Ramondre Stevenson thing. And then if you and I were to, to go back in a time machine uh, a year and a half ago, you know, uh, before, you know, the 2020 draft and before the 2020 draft prospects uh, declared or didn't declare, we would have both been talking about Chuba Hubbard in the same group as ETN, Najee Harris, Jonathan Taylor, Akers, Swift, and Dobbins. He'd have been right in there. Like, I don't know where, but he'd have been in there. There would have been a conversation about where he belongs in that group. And now he's a third round rookie pick in a one quarterback league. Like, yeah, I mean, he's parked behind CMC. There's just a lot here that I don't know what the hell to do with. Uh, I, I don't know what the hell I just asked you, but, uh, you know, what do you think about that, that, uh, that word sound I just gave you? Yeah. I mean, I'm really just like ranking them essentially as I would have ranked them pre-draft. I think that there's some, you know, like if you go with Kenny Gainwell, uh, and if you look at Gainwell's landing spot, yeah, I mean, he's, he's behind Miles Sanders behind a, a workhorse and, uh, it's going to be tough for him to see, see work, but, uh, you have, you know, you, you have some pass catching upside there yes. uh, as a prospect strong uh overall a great great receiving prospect second best reception share in this class uh you know he played ahead of antonio gibson at memphis uh, I, I honestly think that the main reason why gainwell fell is because he didn't play last year uh and, and that's why you know these these teams didn't have tape um and so he ended up falling uh chuba hubbard there was a a, a phone call uh that was recorded of matt rule talking to or talking to um to tepper the owner of the panthers uh, and apparently Matt Rule's wife wanted him to get Chuba Hubbard. So they got Chuba Hubbard because he was oh, used to destroy him in college. And so, Jesus. yeah, so they got Chuba and now he's behind. He's a, a glorified handcuff essentially. Yes. Um, and then with Ramondre Stevenson, you know, Sony Michelle is probably not going to be a Patriot next year. I agree. Um, and so then you have Damian Harris, uh, who to me is, no, you know, nothing special. Uh, it's not like he's bringing that much to the table. And Ramondre, you know, he had that suspension uh, second to last year. And then last year, dug into the, his season. If you look at his numbers when he was active, he had a 15% target or reception share in that offense when he was active, which is insane for a 230 pound back who a lot of people just see him as like a LeGarrette Blunt type. So, yeah, he's not. I, I think there might be some versatility to Ramondre that, uh, you know, I didn't necessarily see at first when looking at his prospect profile, but I did maybe in like late February, early March. So, you know, he's, he's, he's intriguing too, but you can just gobble them all up. I think throw them in a tier and just draw one from a hat because that's sort of, sort of where we're at with things at the running back position in this draft. I'm with you. And I think that that basically kind of does it for most of these prospects. I, I have a few guys that, that I've been hearing some buzz on and, you know, Amir Smith Marset was a guy I was hearing about uh, quite a bit before the draft as an op, a, a possibility to get drafted in day two. Uh, some people really liked him and, um, of course, he played at Iowa where, you know, no such wide receiver has ever done it. You know, right. It's not wide receiver you. Um, and then he goes to Minnesota where there's a the perception of potential opportunity. But I'm not so sure that really exists for him. I mean, even in the midst of an injury, I don't think they're going to be like, well, Marset, you're in there, bro. I think they're going to look to make a move or do something. I, I'm not so sure I'm I'm buying the Marset hype as much as others are. 
Uh, you with me here on this one? Or? Yeah, I mean, when you get to that point in the draft, uh, again, you know, you're really trying to associate uh, some stories with these guys and see paths to upside. And, you know, a guy like Marset, yeah, he's, he's better than <laughs> some other players. He's a 57th percentile wide receiver in my model, but that's kind of irrelevant because anyone that's that low, it's just a dart throw to begin with. Uh, and so if you're going to use like a landing spot argument for someone like him, I would just use a landing spot argument for Cornell Powell and just sure. say, I'm going right. to associate my wide receiver with Patrick Mahomes and just go that route and see if he hits, you know, even though it doesn't look like he's going to hit, but I'd yeah. rather throw that dart landing spot dart than throw, you know, one at Minnesota. Yeah. Or Amari Rogers and Amari Rogers yeah. is sort of my, um, Kadarius Tony, you know, arbitrage play. Like, yeah. You know, I, I, I feel like I'm not going to draft Kadarius Tony because I can just get Amari Rogers, you know, and if, if Amari Rogers goes before Kadarius Tony, then great. I'll t- I guess I'll take Kadarius Tony a little bit, but I'm not, I don't need that because I think Amari Rogers actually has more opportunity. Now, of course, that leads me to my question. Um, here it is. Ready? Green Bay Packers. What in the actual fuck? <laughs> yeah, man. That's a I, real question. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I just, uh, that's a real question. It seems, it seems very <laughs> legit when you consider that Aaron Rodgers is a very, has historically been an incredibly stubborn. Uh, I mean, I, I like Rodgers, but we know that yeah. he's a stubborn person and you read between the lines and uh, you know, uh, AJ Hawk was, he was on Pat McAfee show all the time and he's friends with, with Aaron Rodgers, their buddies. And he said that, the, that he says that there's a 0% chance that Aaron Rodgers is going to play for green Bay. Like to me, it's, it's, it's a done deal. Like he's not going to go back to green Bay. I just think that, that this is the way, unless something dra- dramatically, dramatically changes. Um, and, and, so, and let me ask you this. Why the fuck wouldn't they make something dramatic change happen? Like, yeah, I know. I, I don't, I don't know. Um, like, honestly, but, it's like, I, I, th- I said this last year that I did a Thanksgiving day pod. It was so right around Thanksgiving, last year with uh jake trowbridge and he's a packer fan yeah. and I, I was like you know i had him just i just killed green bay because their job is to figure it out like yeah. you have aaron Rodgers is one of the what five ten best quarterbacks i mean if you want to put him on uh, on the bottom of the list he's one of the top 15 quarterbacks of all time like yeah. he is one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time and you're going to get into a a little tiff with him if you're the general manager or the director of player personnel you know what your job is to make his ass happy that's yeah. your fucking job like yeah. there's no other thing that you do you're because if you get rid of him your team sucks jordan love your guys are going to win four or five games with aaron Rodgers, you might win the super bowl so you know what your job is figure this shit out like yeah. what the hell else are you doing oh you you drafted a backup center in the second round who gives a shit like yeah. none of this matters. You're not doing shit to help the team win. I could have drafted the backup center, but but if I can make Aaron Rodgers happy, then I'm better than you. So figure the shit out. Fire whoever he doesn't like. W- what difference does it make? It just blows my mind how an organization can be so stupid. And and you're right, he is stubborn. So the fuck what? Like yeah. I, this is like I, I it just drives me bananas. Like. You're, the whole idea is to win football games. However, that's not always the case, is it? A lot of these teams are there to make money, and they can give a shit about winning football games. And maybe that's what it comes down to. But I just think it's such malpractice to like get it to that point where he's like basically publicly through channel saying, "Go f yourself. I'm not playing here anymore. I'm done." Like yeah. that's malpractice. Yeah, and look, Amari Amari Rogers with Aaron Rodgers, I I would care about Amari yeah. Rogers with Jordan Love. I don't care about at all. <laughs> no. I, I don't want that at all. I mean, here's the here's the big question: Devonte Adams. 
Yeah, right. I know. I mean, he's what definitely that? like if you're drafting right now, you cannot, you know, whether you're doing redraft, whatever, but you, you know, from a redraft perspective, he's been the wide receiver one. You cannot draft him as the wide receiver one right now. Absolutely not. Yeah. Like this is a problem. Aaron Jones problem. Like there's a problem. Yeah. This is the point. Like this is a big problem. Like, you know, I know they don't have an owner, but whoever the hell it is, that is the most fucking in charge. Green Bay needs to call Aaron and go, uh, yeah, I'm flying to your house right now. I'm going to be there. I'm knock, knock, knock. Hello. Hi. Hello, Aaron. Like, I'm the what? What's the problem? <laughs> I don't yeah. like that guy. All right, he's fired. Next, what else? Like, yeah. he's fired. I don't like you. Well, now we got a problem. But that's the whole point. Like, then you sit there and go, "I am sorry. What did I do?" Like, that you can't let this go on. Like, you can't be such a stubborn ass as the as the guy who manages the team, where the guy who's the most impactful player for your future success of winning anything is now unhappy. And, and from everything I've heard, it's not contract, you know, it's, it's a million other things. And I just can't imagine that like socio issues are like, what's going to make this thing crumble apart for them. Just absolutely awful. Anyway, I'm going to get off that. I just, it just, it just blows my mind that it could get that bad, you know? Yeah. It's crazy. It's nuts. So speaking of teams that are just completely whiffing, um, the Rams come out and their first pick is a pocket sized wide receiver who, I mean, wh- what the hell is that pick? Like, yeah, what I mean, are they doing? I, I think I weighed more than Tutu Atwell does now in middle school. I'm, I'm, yeah. pretty, sure. I'm pretty sure I was a, I was a, I was a chubby middle schooler. So I think that I hit that 153 mark. Um, yeah. So he, here's the crazy thing with Atwell though. And, and, and you can, you know, there's, there's red flags with like Dwayne Eskridge too. Um, but I will say that there's, there's some issues that I have with the way my model views them and the way that I view them. Because when you, when you look across a large, large sample, um, it's not going to pinpoint a guy like Tutu Atwell and his weight and say, you know, he's a 20th percentile wide receiver because of this weight, because technically, you know, number one, we haven't seen anyone that small in my data. He's the smallest wide receiver in my database, but Number number two ever right yeah, ever yeah since, <laughs> since since 2006 yeah and then number two um you know well, it, since it's just, Pop Warner yeah yeah since yeah. Pop Warner. yeah yeah it's just it's really it's really difficult for uh these smaller wide receivers to really like stand out as like absolute avoids because we just don't have a large enough sample on it so a model doesn't pick that up and say you know avoid this person at all costs so. It's a really good example where he actually, Tutu Atwell looks great in my model because he has an insane best season yards per team pass attempt rate. Uh, he has yes. great college production across the board, early declare, like good break, all of that. It's all there. It's just that he's yeah. 150 pounds. And so this is one of those instances where you have to subjectively just be like, no, I'm not, I, I can't do this. Like I, like the other thing too, yeah. is if, if, if Atwell landed in a spot where he would potentially see immediate production, Maybe it would be a little bit different, but he didn't, right? He he landed in a right. in a. He's not going to see the field uh, in year one with with Cooper Cup, Robert Woods, and Deshaun Jackson, and then and then it's like, okay, what then? You know, if you really wanted to, you could buy Tutu Atwell halfway through the year or after this season. But to me, the chance of him hitting is just so slim. You know, it, it's it's less about him hitting as like a an electric player who can have a spiked week or you know someone who can who can maybe give you like a low end wide receiver three season or something like that. It's there's no upside with Tutu Atwell. There's just, it's, he's I think, not going to I think be the Rams. Yeah, no, I think the Rams are just trying to make their uh, fan base more comfortable with the idea that they keep trading away their picks. 
Yeah, I mean, exactly. That, that's seriously. I'm like, just keep trading them away if you're going to take Tutu Atwell above Terrace Marshall. Like, go ahead. Unbelievable. Yeah, Dwayne Eskridge and Tutu Atwell going ahead. Terrace Marshall, like, literally blew my mind. Um, you know, we're gonna we're gonna leave it at that. I, I, you have given us so much time, and 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 your time is uh, more valuable than most. Uh, you know, uh, I appreciate it, man. You're you're awesome. Hey, tell the people where they can find you, uh, real real quick before we before we say goodbye. Yeah, I'm on Twitter at Late Round QB, uh, and I have my podcast, the Late Round Podcast, which uh, can be found anywhere podcasts can be found. Yeah, exactly. Thanks for tuning in, right? Exactly. Right. Uh, everybody loves that pod. You do something on that pod, which I have never done in my life, which is you are very succinct. Yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of editing and making sure, you know, I, I say things and I re-say them to make sure that I'm cutting it down a little bit so people can listen to, to it in the shower. You know, it's a, it's the the shower podcast in the fantasy football space. It really is, man. It's a great pod. You do an outstanding job. You're, you are very succinct, but you're very succinct, uh, you know, even on a pod like this. So, you know your stuff. You're amazing. Um I, I, I guess that's it, man. I, I just, uh, I could talk to you all day, but I, I know you don't want, I know you don't want to do that. You probably have better things to do. I'm just going to go out on a limb and guess. <laughs> no, nah, man. I appreciate you having me. It means a lot. Thanks, man. Uh, so thank you, JJ Zacharies and definitely go check him out on Twitter. Uh, definitely listen to his podcast. It's one of my favorites. That's one that I do not miss, uh, because it is, it is quick. Unlike this one. Sorry folks. And it is very informative and it's power packed. So I love it. He also, uh, I don't know if you, you haven't done it in a little while, but he also does Living the Stream, which is just awesome too. So he's all over the place. Just wherever J- JJ is, you should be there because there's a lot of great information to follow. Just stay in his wake and you'll be just fine. So before we get going, I just want to let you all know to go check us out. Today, uh, our draft kit releases, um, theundroppables.com. You can check my Twitter feed. We're going to be linking it there. Now it's very expensive. It's actually $0 and zero cents this year for the undroppables draft kit. So if you can swing it, you might want to check it out, but uh, please go check out the draft kit. Uh, it, it releases today and you're going to see my rankings there as well as like a ton of other information, all of the film and, uh, uh, analysts that did work for us. Uh, there's a player page on each player and I uh, really g- want you to go check that out. I think you'll love it. Um, and on behalf of everybody at the Undroppables, on behalf of everybody at the Undrafted, JJ Zacharyson, Michael, the producer, this is Scott. We out. We out.